The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Mountain View, California. We are taking a break from the Gospel of John. We've been going through the Gospel of John for over a year, just finished chapter 14, and we will resume in chapter 15 sometime in September. But for the summer, I wanted to do just take a break and do something a little different. And the focus of what I wanted to do this summer is to look to God's Word and examine just some practical issues in our life uh, and maybe some difficult or confusing issues that are relevant to daily living and also very relevant to the Christian life. And in preparation for that, I've been praying for months about what God would have us study together. And also in preparation of that, I came up with a list of about 30 topics that might be of interest that were practically oriented. And I actually emailed those out to our members at GBF and asked them to you know, pick their five top ones and email them back to me, and even if they had other suggestions. And so we had over 20 people of our members do that, so I got a flurry of just a lot of feedback. So I've been collating and prioritizing all that. And out of the 30, to- I can't preach 30 topics. That's 30 weeks, and I'm going to limit to to about 9 or 10 weeks for the duration of the summer. So I've pr- made a prioritized list and just about have it settled of the 7 to 10 topics I want to look at this summer from God's Word. And like I said, most of, if not all of the topics that were suggested are very practical. But without exception, every one of them has some inherent controversy that goes along with them because it can be very confusing. Or many times some of these topics or subjects uh, are things that are debated within even the Christian community, let alone debate with the world. So we're going to be looking specifically at what those topics are. Uh, Well, I'll just give you some examples. Um, As I got feedback from people that, like, there was a top five list, just prominent themes that a lot of people really wanted to hear about from a biblical point of view. And one of the top ones was actually environmentalism. Kind of interesting, isn't it? All the subjects in the world, this flurry of information of people wanting to know about environmentalism. That is not a surprise to me at all in light of that's all you hear about in the news and what's going on in the world. It is the conversation of the day. The environment. Uh, the other top one was, what does the Bible have to say about homosexuality? That does not surprise me at all in light of the culture in which we live here, especially here in the state of California. Um, and another one was speaking in tongues. So these are all like hot potatoes. But if you're a smart pastor and preacher and you want to be liked, you don't talk about or preach about those subjects. So I'm going to preach about them anyway. Um, And I'm just going to see what the Bible has to say. Some people would question and argue, well, the Bible doesn't really have anything to say about environmentalism, so that's hands off, you can't talk about it. I would vehemently disagree. Some people said during Prop 8 and California's definition of marriage, as we were voting on that back in November, there were all kinds of people, especially on television, (coughs) saying that the Bible has nothing to say about marriage regarding this dialogue because this is a political and social dialogue and the Bible is strictly religious. So the Bible and Bible people need to butt out of the conversation. I would vehemently disagree. So before embarking on a study with you, kind of a Bible study on all these topics, I thought it would be very important first to lay the foundation in terms of my perspective where I'm going to be coming from. It's not going to be hearing Cliff's opinion and his axe to grind on all of these issues. I hope it doesn't come across that way. 
Rather, it's let's look at God's Word together and see what God's Word has to say about each one of these topics. Because I believe it does. And I've actually had Christians talk to me and say, well, you can't preach on this topic because it's not in the Bible. And I'd say, well, yeah, it is. So that's why this sermon today, the Bible, God's living Word, is the foundation for what we're going to be doing the rest of the summer. And as I go through the sermon today in my five main points, I'm going to stop at a couple of points and remind you and let you know ahead of time why this point that I'm making is relevant and going to be a priority in our study together this summer. And I'm going to keep coming back to you, reminding you of what I said on this Sunday regarding God's Word on a particular topic. By the way, some of, the, some of you might get, depending upon the topic, some of you might uh, get quite sensitive just by virtue of the topic being raised. I understand that. Because I'm, I'm pretty sensitive to some of the topics that I'm going to be preaching on this summer. Some of them are very personal. But it doesn't matter. I have to preach from God's Word and see what God has to say about these issues. So I understand that. Be in prayer. I would also ask you to be patient. Be prayerful. Um, I'm going to try to be as objective as possible and just cutting God's Word straight and let the chips fall where they may, trusting that the Holy Spirit is going to direct. Don't get heated. Don't get divisive. If you have questions, some of you are going to have questions. That's okay. That is good. Some of you are going to walk away feeling like there's a lack of resolution to the topic I raised. That's okay. Jesus did that many times when He taught publicly. People got upset. People reacted. People were sensitive. People walked away confused. People walked away uh, with a lack of resolution in their mind. That's okay. We want, to, we want to talk about these things. Keep praying. Keep studying together. These aren't going to be exhaustive studies. These are just raising basic biblical points on issues as they intersect with those issues. But to help you as a body in our local church, as I preach each sermon throughout the summer, the following Sunday in adult Sunday school class, that will be the topic of the adult Sunday school class as Scott Varney and others will be discussing it further in an opportunity for dialogue. So when I talk about and preach on what does the Bible say about homosexuality, the following week in the adult Sunday school class we'll be able to talk further about that together. So that's a good thing. Because we can't just hit a difficult subject and then boom, move on without any discussion or prayer or interaction. So that's kind of the strategy. Uh, so let's be gracious to one another throughout the summer. Let's not have fear either because we can have confidence in God, His Word, His Spirit, His truth. So let's go ahead and look at the foundation as we look towards our summer series on the Bible, God's Living Word. There are actually, if you look at your handout, 17 points about the Bible that I would like to say today. No, there's 17. I couldn't fit the other two on the piece of paper. Uh, if you want to write those on there, 16 and 17. Uh, number 16 was humanity, the humanity of Scripture. And then number 17 was practicality, practicality of Scripture. I'm not going to talk about those. Uh, I only want to talk about the first five. Six through 15 are strictly for you. It's just information for you. I didn't need to put that on there. So after the sermon, you don't need to say, well, you didn't preach on six through 15. You, well, I know I didn't. I wasn't planning on it. I put 6 through 15 on there just for your personal information that I thought it might be helpful to you. But I do want to emphasize the first five. So let's go ahead and look at those. Five truths about the Bible that we need to keep in the forefront of our mind. Two weeks ago we had Elisa Childers here and she did music for us and she's traveled the world, literally, singing in churches for the last ten years. Traveled the world all over this country. Churches everywhere. 
And her dad grew up doing the same thing, and he's almost 60 traveling the world with Christians. So she joined us, did music, heard the sermon, and as I was walking to her to her car, she said, Cliff, thank you so much for preaching the Bible. I can't tell you how many churches I go to where they don't preach the Bible. They don't preach the Bible anymore. Now, I understand it was a general, generic umbrella statement. She wasn't saying no church preaches the Bible, but she's saying typically there are so many churches that I go to, they don't preach the Bible anymore. They're telling stories. It was so refreshing. I felt like I haven't been to church in a year. And that was encouraging. And I'm not patting myself on the back. That just speaks to our commitment at Grace Bible Fellowship, committed to the Word of God. It is the living Word of God. I have nothing to say. McManus's opinion doesn't matter. So we're studying together what the Holy Spirit is our teacher to see what God has to say. And today we're looking at the topic of what does He have to say about His Word, the Bible. Five key things I want to highlight. Let's go ahead and look at it. Things you need to know and understand and be reminded of. These are basic, foundational Christianity 101. Point number one about the Bible. Inspiration. Inspiration, I want to talk about it. The Bible is God-breathed. 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 What does it mean that the Bible is inspired? We, we say that the Bible is inspired. I believe the Bible is inspired. Well, let me break it down a little bit. 2 Timothy 3.16, the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, who was a church leader, a pastor, an elder, and, Timothy, and Paul's reminding Timothy, Timothy, your opinion doesn't matter. What matters is the Bible, the Scriptures. And that's why in chapter 4 he says you need to preach the Word, preach the Bible, preach the Scriptures. And just before that, Paul reminded Timothy why he needs to preach the Scriptures, the Bible, and not his own opinion. Because in 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul said, all Scripture, all of the writings, Scripture, graphe in the Greek, graphe, graphics, the writings, the, very, the, the page, the Scripture, the written Scripture itself, all of it, from Genesis to Revelation. At least Paul was talking about the Old Testament. That was already all written. The Apostle Paul knew that he was writing Scripture himself. He knew that all the other apostles were writing Scripture because that's what Jesus said. So it includes, when it says all Scripture, Genesis to Revelation. All the writings of God. All of the written Scripture. Everything you have in your English Bible right now. Or in your printed Bible right now. That's what he's talking about. All Scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, in order that the child of God may be adequate, equipped, for every good work. And the main point there, Paul says and reminds us that all Scripture is inspired by God. That is not a good translation. It's not the best translation when it says inspired by God. In the 1600s, that was a good translation in the King James Version because it meant something a little bit different. Inspired did. 400 years later, that word inspired for us has different nuances that aren't as good. I, the literal Greek translation is, is better. In the Greek text, it says all Scripture is God-breathed. Breathed out by God. What is written on the pages came from the very mind and the mouth of God as He spoke to His prophets and they wrote down the Scriptures. That's what it means. All Scripture is God-breathed. Or spirated is actually the word. That's better than inspired. Because when we say inspired today, we think, oh, Michelangelo, he was so inspired when he did his architecture. Or uh, we say that about all kinds of artists. Beethoven, he was so inspired as he wrote his music. Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant, they were so inspired as they did that dunk. That is not what we're talking about. That is taking it down to a very human, temporal, imperfect level. That is not, we're not talking about human motivation or giving you goosebumps. That has nothing to do with this word. So the literal translation is all Scripture is God-breathed. It came from His mind. It, he is the origin of written Scripture. Because the number one argument and allegation you're going to get from critics and unbelievers is they'll say that, well, the Bible is just a human book written by fallible human authors. 
That is only partly true. The main truth they're missing is actually the truth of Scripture came from the very mind of God who perfectly communicated it to the men of God through the Holy Spirit of God and ensured that it was written perfectly as He wanted it on the pages of Scripture. And that's why Paul could say with authority, all Scripture is God-breathed. It came from Him. Jesus believed this about Scripture. Jesus had the entirety of the Old Testament in His day. He preached from it. He taught it as though it was authoritative. It was the last word on everything. And Jesus always quoted and referred to Scripture as inspired by God. Matthew 4.4, when the devil confronted Jesus three times with three temptations, Jesus fought every temptation that Satan threw at him by quoting the truth of Scripture authoritatively. And he said this by way of example, Matthew 4.4. In response to the devil, Jesus said, Jesus answered and said, It is written. So that means he's, he's referring to the Scripture. He's quoting it. As authoritative, as inspired by God. It is written, and he's quoting Deuteronomy 8.3. Man shall not live on bread alone. Humans shall not live on physical bread alone. But on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That is a great definition of inspiration. Jesus said that Scripture came from the very mouth of Almighty God Himself. That is biblical inspiration. The Bible is inspired. You can count on it. It is rock solid. The God who is infinite, perfect, and eternal is the ultimate author of Scripture. What great confidence we can have in it as a result. Well, how did this happen? Because, yeah, God did use Paul, and Paul wasn't perfect, and he was a sinner, and he was finite. But God used him anyway to do his work. God used human authors to write his word down, and God ensured that it would be done perfectly. How? Through the agency of the Holy Spirit. And this is how Peter explains it. Peter wrote Scripture. And Peter is explaining to those to make sure they understand uh, the book you have in your hand in the Bible. These are not just written by human authors. God is the ultimate author. And God ensured that what Peter wrote and Paul wrote and Mark and all those guys was perfect as it came from God's mind and His mouth. Here was the process. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. Peter says, no prophecy of Scripture. Did you notice he calls Scripture prophecy? That's what the Bible is. It is prophecy. It is a book of prophecy. You want to know what the genre of Scripture is? You want to know what the genre of any book in the Bible is? That's a common question that a literary analyst of the Bible asks today. What is the genre of the Bible? Well, you've got to understand the genre of this book and that book. The genre, it is, it is prophecy. There's nothing like it. It is the only human literature that its genre is prophecy. And that's what Peter's saying. You've got to understand that all the Scripture, no prophecy of Scripture, no written Scripture is a matter of one owns interpretation. Paul didn't just make up 1 Corinthians. That's what he's saying. Paul got it from somewhere else. He got it from God. It's not his own opinion. No prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one owns interpretation for no prophecy of Scripture was ever made by an act of the human will. Peter just didn't conjure it up out of his mind and just write what he wanted to write. John didn't just make up Revelation. He got it from God. Moses just didn't make up Genesis. He got it from God. The only eyewitness of creation. God knows what He's talking about. No prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy of written Scripture was ever made by an act of human will. But men, here it is, moved along by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. Some translations say, but men carried along by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God and wrote it down. So the Apostle Paul wrote down what the Holy Spirit wanted him to write down exactly. That is inspiration. That is God-breathed. 
That's why we can trust that the Bible is the inspired, breathed out Word of God that finds its origin in the very mind and mouth of the eternal, perfect God. So regarding this inspiration, specific things about inspiration, we believe in verbal inspiration. That means that we believe even the very words are inspired. Some people think that just the red letters are inspired. That's not true. Every word in the Bible is inspired as it was given. So that's verbal. The small little parts. Even the, the little verbs. Verbal inspiration. For example, in Matthew 22:32, Jesus made an entire argument on the truth of the resurrection based on the verb to be, present tense, as he was arguing with his uh, detractors, the Pharisees. So he established the entire resurrection based on the tense of the verb to be. That is verbal plenary inspiration. Even the verbs matter. What tense matters? The mood matters. The aspect matters. Everything about it is inspired. That's verbal inspiration. We also believe in plenary inspiration. That means the whole thing. The whole enchilada. From Genesis to Revelation, all of it is inspired. And as a result, we believe in equal inspiration. Every part of the Bible is equally inspired. For, so like I said, it's not just the red letters of Jesus in your New Testament that are inspired. All of it is inspired. If I were to ask you, which is more inspired? The book of Leviticus or the book of Romans? What would you say? Some Christians might say, well, obviously the book of Romans. No, you're wrong. Sorry. Leviticus is just as inspired as Romans. What book is more important? The book of the Gospel of John or the book of Genesis? Ooh. Yes, good answer. Ding, 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 ding. They are both equally important. They are both equally inspired. Now, the reason this is so important, I guarantee you, as we are preaching this summer through a topic, particularly maybe a controversial topic, or one that uh, hits you somewhere, hits a nerve somewhere, and you get uncomfortable, and you come up to me afterwards and say, well, you didn't say this, or what about this verse? I just want you to keep in mind, but I did say this verse. So if it's on homosexuality and I quote out of Leviticus, or maybe I quote out of Leviticus and Romans or 1 Corinthians 6 together, but you just want to emphasize 1 Corinthians 6, you can't do that. You have to look at everything God said. It is all equally inspired. People do that all the time and distort biblical teaching. Well, they forget the Old Testament, I just want the New Testament. Forget the harsh things Jesus said. I just want the nice things Jesus said. Can't do that. Forget Revelation. I can't understand it. Forget Genesis. It confuses me. I just want John. It's easy. Can't do that. It's all equally inspired. So that is the inspiration of God's Bible. It is God-breathed. Point number two, the Bible is inerrant. Or inerrancy, the Bible is flawless or without flaw. Inerrancy, the Bible is without flaws or the Bible is flawless. And actually, this is just a... Logical uh, outcome of the first point. Because God breathed it, it is inerrant. It is without error. You can count on it. It has no flaws. It has no errors. That's what inerrancy means. It is flawless. There's a, been a move in evangelical Christianity for the last 50 years of people who want to say, well, the Bible's authoritative, but it is not inerrant. Doesn't that sound nice and spiritual? If you think about it, the Bible's authoritative, but it is not inerrant. It's been going on for 50 years. It's getting worse. That's wrong. The Bible is inerrant, not just authoritative. Just some scriptures to look at regarding the inerrancy and the flawless nature. By the way, it is inerrant. It is without error. It is flawless on any topic that addresses. If it's medicine, history, science, it doesn't matter. Geography, the Bible is without error. How do I know? Because God said so. Proverbs 30, verse 5 in the NIV says, Every word of God is flawless. Wow, can you get any clearer than that? 
Every word of God is flawless. Exodus 20 says that God made the world in six days and rested on the seventh. That is a flawless, true, binding statement that God spoke to Moses. Yeah, but science says. But secular evolutionary science says. Secular evolutionary atheistic geology says. But. And then God said to Moses, Exodus 20, God made the world in six days and rested on the seventh. Who are you going to believe? God doesn't make errors. Psalm 119.160, the psalmist says to God, who was inspired, all your words are true. All of them. That's inerrancy. Hebrews 6.18, it is impossible for God to lie. The Bible represents God's written thoughts. God doesn't lie. God cannot lie. The Bible has no errors. Romans 3.4, and if somebody does accuse God of making an error, if somebody does accuse His Word of having an error, you know what I always say? I quote Paul in Romans 3. Let God be true and every man a liar. Because God's Word doesn't have errors in it. Listen to Jesus' belief in the inspiration and inerrancy of Scripture. In Matthew 5, this is just powerful. This is Jesus' view of the Bible, of the written Word, of written Scripture. His view of the entire Old Testament. His view of the New Testament that He was going to author through His apostles regarding written Scripture. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the Old Testament, the written Scriptures. I didn't come to abolish them or the prophets. I did not come to abolish. I came to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, that's eternally, not the smallest letter or stroke, that is the the vav in Hebrew, the smallest marking possible. That's the iota subscript in the Greek language. These are little markings on the very words in Scripture. And Jesus says, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away or fall away from the written law, from the written Scriptures until all is accomplished. That is inerrancy. That is inspiration. That is Jesus' point of view. And our view needs to reflect His view. So the Bible is inspired by God. It is inerrant and without error. But at the same time, you've got to keep in mind, there is mystery in Scripture. There are things that make us scratch our head. There are things that are hard to understand, as Peter talked about Paul's writings. There are antinomies, which are apparent paradoxes or contradictions, but they're not real contradictions. The Bible does not give exhaustive truth, so don't chalk that off as being an error. It gives sufficient truth. So the Bible is inspired. It is without error. The next point, point number three, authority. The Bible is the final word. Authority. The Bible is the final word. Very important. That's why I'm addressing these very controversial issues. Everybody's going to have an opinion about all the issues we're going to talk about this summer. Environmentalism. What is the definition of marriage? homosexuality, speaking in tongues. Everybody has a view and an opinion. But actually, all of our human opinions and views really don't matter, do they? From a biblical Christian point of view, from God's point of view, it doesn't matter. What matters is the Bible. And when I say that, it means what matters is what God said on the issue because the Bible is God's Word. And because the Bible is inspired, the very Word of God, it carries its own inherent authority. The Bible has inherent authority. It's not derived authority. It's not derivative. It is innate. It is inherent. The Scriptures are inspired, said 2 Timothy 3.16. And because the Bible is God's Word, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. It is the final word. What Scripture says, God says. Jesus used Scripture as the ultimate authority. John 10 speaking publicly in the temple to a religious community, to religious authorities. To make his point, he quotes Scripture. And as he's quoting Scripture out of the Psalms, he makes this commentary. The Scripture cannot be broken. 
The Scripture is infallible. The Scripture is binding. The Scripture is the ultimate authority. The Scripture has authority over your own human-made traditions, is what he meant. The script, there is no higher level of appeal in the hierarchy of authority, the Scripture was the highest authority. That's what Jesus was saying. can't argue with it. What Scripture says, God says. Matthew 4, Jesus said, It is written. It stands written. Perfect tense in the Greek text, which means it was a past action written by Moses 1,400 years ago. It stands written. Perfect tense. It was written in the past, but it has ongoing, continual, binding results. So literally, it stands written. In other words, Moses wrote it, but it is still binding and authoritative and relevant today as it was 1,400 years ago when Moses wrote it because it is the living Word of God. It stands written. And then he quotes from Scripture as the authority on the issue. Case closed. God said it. I believe it. That settles it for me. That was Jesus' view. By the way, that is one of Jesus' favorite phrases as He's publicly teaching in the four Gospels. It is written. Affirming the authority of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 4.6, the Apostle Paul told the Corinthian Christians, do not go beyond what is written. Wow! You should write that down in the front of your Bible because of the implications of that. Do not go beyond what is written. What he was saying was, if you need an answer, you need a solution, you need hope, you need a resolution, you need authority in your life, you need to address a difficult issue or even a mundane issue, from a godly, biblical point of view, do not go beyond what is written. If you're finding counsel or wisdom outside the purview of Scripture, don't do that. That is wrong. There is no higher authority than Scripture. But he said, but she said, but the scientist said, but the news said. Well, the Bible says. That's what Paul says. Do not go beyond Scripture. Don't try to find answers outside of Scripture. It's futile. That's what that means in 1 Corinthians 4, 6. Scripture is not just an, an authority. It's not just one authority among many. The Mormon church, for example, I'm not picking on the Mormon church, but this is their stated official position. The Bible, they say they believe in the Bible, but it is only one of at least five official authorities in the church. And it's on the bottom rung. The greatest authority is the living prophet of the church. Because he gets direct, ongoing divine revelation, they say. So that's their hierarchy of authority. Their living prophet has authority over everything else. And then they have other written scriptures. The doctrine of covenants. The pearl of great price. The church itself as an institution and entity has more authority than the Bible. So they've got four authorities that have authority over the Bible. And by the way, it's only the King James Bible that has authority, they would say. We would say no. The Bible is the only sole and final authority over everything. When Scripture speaks, God speaks. The Bible has authority over the church. Get this. Church leaders, the elders, the deacons, the pastors... I think the secretaries. Um, church, that was a joke. All Christians, all Christians, government, even the pagan government, how can you say that? Well, because God's Word says that. And society itself. Well, you can't hold unbelievers to the standard of Scripture. Yeah, you can. How can you say that? Well, Jesus did. The Bible says to do it. Right? Preach the Gospel to all creation. Call them to repentance. Acts 17.30, God is now declaring that all men everywhere repent and submit and bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ because God has fixed a day in which He will judge the world according to Jesus Christ and written revelation of Scripture and the proclamation of the Gospel. That is binding authority over every living soul on earth. 
It's the authority. It is the only authority. It is the final authority. And that's what I just want to remind you of as we study these topics together. What does the Bible say? So the Bible is inspired. It is inerrant. It has authority. And number four, it has perspicuity. What? Please spell that. There it is. That's a weird word. That's a funny word. That is a very unclear word. What does that very unclear perspicuity word mean? It means clear. Seriously. Why did they come up with that word? How ironic. A word you can't ever, you never use it in conversation. You can't even spell it. I can't even say it. Try saying it ten times really fast. Can't be done. The perspicuity of Scripture, all it means is the Bible is clear. It can be understood. And God's intention when He gave His Word, the written Scripture, to people, God's intention was He wanted them to understand it. Because there are people, especially religious people, who say you can't really understand the Bible. can't do it. It is beyond comprehension. That was the problem in the Middle Ages before the Reformation. And what prompted the Reformation was there were the religious elites who said you can't read the Bible because you can't understand the Bible and you can't interpret the Bible. Therefore, just the religious elite, only the church people who were educated and know the right language, Latin, we are the only ones allowed to read the Bible, interpret it, and tell you what it says. You can't read it on your own. And Martin Luther disagreed with that. John Calvin disagreed with that. That's why they started putting the translation of the Bible in the language of the people and there was a huge reformation. Transformed society and history. Because the Word of God got in the hands of the people of God because God intended for it to be understood. Not just by the elites and the scholars and the church leaders. That's the perspicuity of Scripture. The clarity of Scripture. The Bible is comprehensible. It can be understood. I can read the book of Genesis to my seven-year-old son chapter by chapter. He can understand it. He gets it. It's a great story. It can be understood. It's not just for scholars and the elite. It is written in the vernacular and the common language of the people. That's another thing when you study the Hebrew language, I mean, Hebrew and the Greek of the New Testament, you realize it's not this highfalutin technical uh, language. It's in the language of the people. It's like newspaper language. It's conversational language. It's simple language. The language of the day. A beautiful thing because God wants to make His truth clear to His people. Wayne Grudem gives this definition on the perspicuity of Scripture. It's good. The Bible is written in such a way that its teachings are able to be understood by all who will read it, seeking God's help and being willing to follow it. But, unfortunately, there are all kinds of people in churches today, in evangelical churches, and in the movement known as the emerging church. I've been harping on this for two and a half years, by the way, if you haven't noticed. It is hard to go somewhere and not find the influence of the emerging church in churches today. Really. Because every church I go to, I look, I snoop around, I sniff, talk to the pastors, look at the teaching, and I see it everywhere. The influence of emerging church. But one of the cardinal beliefs of emerging church theology is they don't believe the Bible is clear. Serious. Here's a quote out of Christianity Today. One of the most influential Christian magazines in print for the last 50 years. Recently, published an interview of an influential emerging church pastor and his wife, and here's what they said is the pastoral team of this influential church of a best-selling book they have written. You can find it in Barnes & Noble. Here is their view of Scripture. They don't believe in the clarity of Scripture. They believe it's foggy. And they believe it's spiritual if you believe it's foggy and unclear. They said to Christianity Today, we want to embrace mystery rather than conquer it. I grew up as a Christian thinking that we've figured out the Bible. I've, I've grown up thinking I could actually understand the Bible. The implication is, but that's not true. Eureka, I have discovered, is the implication here. 
We believe that we knew what the Bible means. Now, I have no idea what most of it means. And they're proud of it. Now that I'm a pastor and a pastor's wife and we teach thousands of people and written a best-selling book on Christianity, we have joyfully concluded that we don't even know what most of the Bible even means. Wow! And Christianity Today is publishing this article as a good thing. Something Christians should learn from. I think it's a travesty. This is undermining the Word of God. It is everywhere. No, the Bible's clear. A, a child can understand its truth. Deuteronomy 6.6 6. God told Moses, Moses, Genesis to Deuteronomy, I want you to take this, give it to the parents so they can teach their little kids because God said He believed that little kids can understand the Bible. Really? Yeah, that's Deuteronomy 6.6. 6. God said, These words which I command you this day, Moses... Written in Scripture shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. That implies clarity, perspicuity. It can be understood. Psalm 119, 130. The unfolding of your words, God gives light or understanding. Scripture, your Scripture, your law imparts understanding to the simple, to the uneducated, to the foolish, to the children, to the naive, is what it's saying. That is clarity. Wow. Jesus believed in clarity because he used to say this is another one of his favorite questions or responses. He said publicly, have you not read in the Scriptures? Hey, guys, it's clear. I thought you were Bible scholars. You got this memorized. Have you not read? It's clear. It is in Scripture. That is an implication. Jesus just took it for granted, the clarity of Scripture. So the Bible is inspired. It is inerrant. It has authority. It has clarity. Number five, sufficiency. The Bible is enough. Boy, if you got God's opinion on something, why do you need another opinion? I just don't get it. Well, but this, you know, this atheistic, evolutionary, secular, anti-God scientist said with his PhD. Something contrary to what God said in his word. Oh, okay. That's supposed to be convincing for me as a Christian? Really? God said versus what man said. Let God be true, every man a liar. The Bible's sufficient. God has given His opinion. We need no other opinion on the things He's given His opinion about. That is the sufficiency of Scripture. The doctrine. This is probably one of the most important of the five attributes of the Bible that's going to take part in our thinking this summer on all these issues. Just by virtue of the fact, on the 30 uh, topics I have given you, I actually had some responses from people telling me, but you can't preach on that topic because the Bible doesn't talk about it. I'm like, Whoa! That's scary thinking. That is dangerous. A Christian needs to understand the historic doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture. Just as important as any other doctrine. The Bible is sufficient. What God says is enough. And God addresses every issue we need to know about in life. Every one of them. The sufficiency of Scripture. What the Bible says is enough. The Bible contains all that we need to know. Not all there is to know. There's a difference. It gives sufficient information, not exhaustive information. We can't know everything. We are finite. We are sinful. We are fallen. The Apostle Paul, who had direct revelation, said he looks through a glass dimly. He doesn't even see and understand it all. And he was an apostle. But God understands it all. We have to trust Him where He doesn't speak. We speak up where God speaks. We are silent where God is silent in His Word. But we have everything we need in Scripture. It is sufficient for all of our needs, all of our trials, all of our questions that are legitimate. Scripture is enough. 
Hebrews 1, 1 through 2 in the New Testament says this, Long ago, in the Old Testament days, before Jesus, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers, all the believers in history, from Adam to Noah to Abraham to Isaiah to Elijah, all those people and their wives and their children. God spoke to us. He gave revelation. He revealed His will. It was clear. God was speaking to these people. But back then, He did it in different ways and in different manners and different methods. Long ago, many times, many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Through the prophets, through dreams, through visions, through writings. But in these last days, since the coming of Jesus Christ and the death and resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ, and when He gave His Holy Spirit... There's a new era in how God is going to communicate His will. And it was when He sent the Holy Spirit, He moved the prophets or the apostles to write down New Testament Scripture. It's a new day. Everything we need to know is written by the apostles in the New Testament. That's what He's talking about. But in these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son, Jesus. Jesus was the one who taught and commissioned the apostles to write the New Testament. They speak for Jesus. The New Testament, words of Paul and Peter, those are the words of Jesus. Revelation, John tells us, are the words of Jesus. And His Word is sufficient. Jude 3, one verse. This is literally what it means. The complete repository of Christian faith or revelation or doctrine has been once for all or finally been delivered to the church. Jude was one of the last apostles and last New Testament writers. And God spoke through him to say that. Here it is. It's all here. The faith once for all delivered unto the saints. First, Second Peter 1.3 God's divine power has granted to us. That is Christians. That is the church. Listen to this. God's divine power has granted to us, has given to us, has given to us. God, what have you given us? He has given us all things. Not some things, a few things. God has given us all things. That pertain to life and godliness. Life. Those are the practical issues of life. Godliness. Those are the spiritual issues of life. Theology and the things we need to know. All things, not some, not a little bit, all things. That is sufficiency. Everything is there in Scripture, given by Jesus through the apostles, inscripturated and preserved for 2,000 years by the Holy Spirit Himself. Jesus promised His apostles. Letter E in John 16, 13. This isn't talking to all Christians. This is talking to the apostles who would write down the New Testament. And this is what He told the apostles. It was a prophecy about writing the New Testament. When the Holy Spirit of truth comes... The Holy Spirit will guide you into all of the truth and you will write it down for the church. That's what he was talking about. All truth, not some of the truth. Everything the church needs to know till I return. That is sufficiency of Scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16 Paul said all Scripture is inspired or breathed by God for the purpose of what? Well, here's the result. All of Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, was given to the church, to God's people, for the purpose that it would be profitable for us to be taught, to be corrected, to be rebuked, and to be trained in righteousness, in godly living. That's sufficiency. In order that the child of God, the believer of God, may be competent. You know what that means? Complete, mature, perfect, King James. Thoroughly equipped, says one translation. The Scriptures have everything we need to be thoroughly equipped before God. That is sufficiency. Thoroughly equipped, for almost just about practically every good work. No, that isn't what it says. That is a false translation. It says we have everything that we need to be thoroughly equipped for every good work as a Christian. All comes from Scripture. That is the sufficiency of Scripture. So the Bible is sufficient. It is adequate. It is enough. It's all we need. It is God's authority. It is clear. 
It is without error. We can trust it. It is inspired. It came from God, His mind itself. And we need to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit who is our teacher, our ultimate teacher, because that's what the Holy Spirit uses to teach us. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in you and is your resident teacher and opens your minds to understand God's truth in a way you couldn't if you were not a Christian. He is our teacher. So let's look to God, His Word, and especially His Holy Spirit that we might be taught of Him on all these very important personal, intimate issues this summer, all for His glory and for our good. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we do thank You for this day. We thank You for the church. Thank You for the Lord Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And God, thank You for the treasure of Your Word. Thank You for preserving Scripture for 3,500 years. Flawless. You wrote it. You can preserve it. And You did. Thank You. And God, I just pray that You would be our teacher through Your Holy Spirit this summer and that we would just learn great things, be challenged, be stretched, called into obedience and submission to honor You in all things. We are dependent upon Your grace for all this, so we trust You'll lead us every step of the way. We thank You in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Dr. McManus, other messages, or resources, please visit gbfsv.org or call us at 650 630 0009.